Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome back. Another great episode today. We've got a real treat because Mr. Jim Shibley, who I'm going to be interviewing, has been investing in real estate at this point for almost 30 years, 28 years and counting. And my goodness, this gentleman has done a lot of different investing strategies over that time. So Mr. Jim Shibley, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So, hey, 28 years investing in real estate. Do you remember what sparked you in the first place? What was that kind of initial thing that just said, you know what? I want to I want to jump into this wild and crazy world. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's a long journey, but it, it started back in, uh, well, it had to be, what, the early 80s, I think around 1984. Wow. And um, <clears throat> I was, hey, I was hate to break it to you, my friend. That's almost 40 years ago now. Yeah, it was pretty close to that. <laughs> Time flies. It does. But yeah, um, actually, I was in the military and was on one of my first assignments. And we were simply leasing a place. It was a temporary assignment. I was only there for six months or so. And uh, one of my good friends there, he goes, why in the world are you not buying a house? And I go, what are you talking about? I mean, we're only going to be here like six, yeah. seven months. You know, we're just renting. We're fine renting. He goes, no, 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 no. You need to be... You need to at least buy a piece of property. He goes, why in the world would you, you just want to throw your money away? So, you know, the more I thought about it, it's like, yeah, you know, it's probably made some sense. I mean, you know, the property makes make a little bit of money. At least it covers the mortgage payments, whatever. Yeah. You know, pick it up. And so we bought our first little house in Mountain Home, Idaho. So and, when you uh, say we, was that, were you married family yeah, at the time? Or yeah, what was we were just married not more than a year. So yeah. it was our very first house. And, uh, it was kind of a funny thing because we ended up having that house. We were, like I said, we were only there for six months or so. And um, we ended up leasing that to a staff sergeant who leased that house from us for 13 years wow. before he finally bought it. <laughs> so it was like, so, wow, so we one, pretty much paid great. it off for you. Pretty much paid it yeah. off for you and then bought it on top of that. And it was, so that was our very first real estate deal. And it was like, wow, this is great. Well, I mean, subsequent rentals didn't always work out as well as most landlords know. Um, but even from that point on, it was always, even throughout the entire time when we were in the military, we never leased again. Um, I was stationed in uh, overseas in England for two years. We actually bought a house there. And um, even within those two years, basically between what was going on where we were stationed and the exchange rate, we cleared $103,000 on a house in two years. Wow. So real estate was always really good to us. Um, and, uh, you know, outside I was a professional pilot by trade. Yeah. So I was a fighter pilot for 13 years, but throughout that entire time, I was always doing little bits of real estate. So one part of it was I started getting into note investing. So that was, that was kind of intriguing. Mm -hmm. So that was a whole nother education. And, and I hate to say it, but I probably paid well, well more than a physician in, learning fees, if you will, over the years. But the well, yeah, but but your return on investment has probably been pretty good on that education. Oh, yeah, that. absolutely, without a doubt. And um, so that's pretty much where it all started until um, pretty much in 2009, uh, where I was doing some corporate flying and things just weren't, they weren't going that great, not as you anticipated. And that's when we really caught the real estate bug. Um, that and, you know, there was no job security even in the airlines or in any type of a corporate flying position. And I think most people are probably get to that point at some, you know, there's, there is no such thing as job security out there. 
Yeah. And, um, but that's when we finally made the big move and decided to go into it full time. And then we did anything from, we started flipping. Like I think a lot of people do. Yeah. And the flipping business was great. It was back in the days in 2011, 12, 13, where you could buy a lot of HUD homes and get them pretty cheap and turn them over quickly. Right. And um, so all of that stuff went great. And that's basically what we've done. But the biggest problem that I found with fix and flipping is it's really is it's, it's its own business of it on its own. You stop. There's nothing passive about that whatsoever. You stop. Yeah, and that, you, stop and you really can't do it as a mom and pop type thing. I know mm. a lot of people do that, but by the time you put in all the time, all the effort, um, make some really decent money. But if it's over a four, six, eight month period of time, and especially if you're doing any of the work on it yourself, mm. by the time all that stuff is done and you're now you're back to marketing square one. And what I found is that the business quote unquote, the business was suffering because there was no marketing being done. I wasn't really being able to spend the time on the business because I was spending time in the business. So you were swinging hammers and doing stuff like that or managing crews yeah, or you bet. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It That is a challenge, isn't it? Right. Cause you're so oh, busy man. working on the property, working on that deal, the marketing slacks. Yeah. And then, you know, sure. You're making really good money there, but then you have to invest a bunch in restarting the whole marketing engine. Exactly. living off what you made while you find that next deal and then starting the whole cycle over again. Exactly. There just wasn't any continuity there and there's not the cash flow there. None. Exactly. So um, that whole experience then led more into the creative finance space. So, so, so Jim, uh, more or less how many years and how many flips did you do when you were actively flipping properties? Just to give us an idea. We were normally doing probably three to five a year. Yeah. And that was enough for us especially because especially when when you're doing it with a small crew or you're losing contractors that's why the, the big lesson learned was if you're going to be a fix and flipper then be a fix and flipper mm. um you got to have the crews you got to have the marketing department to make sure that that deal flow is constantly there because if any of that stuff starts to soften you lose contractors and your whole business goes on you know goes underwater mm. sounds so, like you, you had some painful experience there yeah especially dealing with contractors i mean Every time I know that I've, I've discussed it with people that are thinking about doing flipping, I basically tell them, saying, look, if you're going into it, make sure that you've got at least three of everything. Because you never know when some guy's going to flake out, when he's going to move to a different job, and you've got to have that pool of contracting resources to be able to get those jobs done. Because typically they're borrowing, I mean, you're borrowing hard money normally, mm -hmm. um, and time is money. Well, like, and if you, you got three of everything, done. that means that you've got to have a crap ton of deals go on the go at all times to keep yep. everybody busy. Right. That's, that's yeah, absolutely. Challenge. All right. Good. So, so, I mean, so that kind of migrated kind of learned into that. a bit of wholesaling. And so we've done a little bit of everything, um, yeah. but we started creating um, kind of hybrids. So we would basically try to acquire properties that didn't need like a full rehab. I call them prehabbing. So prehabbing? Just, yeah. Prehabbing. Okay. So it's not like a full rehab but enough where you're cleaning it up, you're making it look nice. You're not putting say, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 in, but you're typically putting in anywhere between, you know, 15, 20, maybe 25. And then to avoid the capital gains is what we typically, we started doing is doing Airbnbs. Oh, okay. So we started Airbnb properties, um, especially looking for duplexes where we would lease, we had started out leasing one side and then Airbnb the other. 
And then we just went to full-time Airbnb because it just didn't make sense to lease straight out anymore because there's way less repairs. We didn't have any of those hassles. It was always clean. And we ended up actually making more than double on the, on, and we still do that today. I mean, we make more than way more than double on quote, quote unquote, short-term rental income than we with Airbnb than we ever did doing a regular rental. Oh, most definitely. So are you still flipping those properties or now are you just holding on to them long? No, those are, we're actually holding on to them. I have yeah. a couple of those and uh, we're holding on to those and that model. I basically still like, um, but we've, we've kind of moved into primarily with, with the big turnaround and where the, I see where the economy is going, because I think we're coming out of this huge bubble, um, you know, where the banking industry is going, um, where the lending criteria, I think is going to start tightening up. I think prices are going to start falling and the buyer's market is going to get tight. Hmm. And um, so we're kind of catering to those folks that basically still need time in order to get their conventional financing in place, but they have enough money to put down on a house and they're really interested in home ownership much more so than again, like my old lesson was throwing money away on rent. Uh, they'd rather have home, home ownership and this gives them the ability to work them into that. And, um, you know, we do the same thing with, the, with sellers nowadays, but it's the biggest challenge has been, it's an educational process. So it's, it's, it's sounding like you're getting into the whole rent own business, lease option type business. We do, we do quite a few of those, um, mm -hmm. but whether it's seller finance, a lot of that has been dependent upon, where we're actually doing business in. Um, where I'm at in Wisconsin, we typically, I typically tend to do lease purchases because if there was an issue um, where for lack for non-payment on the lease portion of the lease purchase, um, it's easy to get everything done in 30 to 45 days. It's a simple process. To, to basically to, to evict somebody from a deal. Right, right, to evict yeah. someone versus I live in a pretty long foreclosure state where it could take yeah. a year to a year and a half in order to move someone if we were doing like, say, a wrap or just straight owner financing. Okay, so you're you're getting into, you're talking about the buyer side, you're talking also about the the seller side. So if I'm reading between the lines, Jim, does that mean you're doing sandwich leases? Is that what you're kind of, the creative strategy you're working on? Um, we try to do is if, if the numbers work. Um, okay. If not, we kind of go into like basically wholesaling the paper. So, so what is what does that mean? So what we'll do is is if we find someone who's interested in doing seller financing, let's say that they have a fair amount of equity, they're they're interested in doing some type of owner financing, we'll basically do the paperwork, we'll contract it, and then we'll turn around and we will wholesale that to the end buyer, and we basically take the assignment fee. So the assignment fee that that end buyer puts up, we basically take all or at least a good portion of that as our assignment fee, mm -hmm. and then the terms are basically between the seller and that end buyer. And then we're out. Okay. So yeah, basically you're setting up a, an owner financing type deal between the, the current owner and your tenant buyer who you have found. Correct. Who doesn't qualify for traditional financing right now, but does have a chunk of, of money to put down. Yep. And then your, your fee is basically whatever you get from them as a, down payment or as an assignment fee. Right, as an assignment fee. So we negotiate that. Sometimes we do a split with that with the seller because you know they need it. Can be significant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So um, but those those have been great because yeah. the market is lending itself to that. When the way we structure it is we make sure that the seller especially knows that if they can just wait, and even if it's a short term, say 12 to 18 months, 
they're going to net thousands and thousands more than they would on doing a conventional sale because we don't have the fees. There's yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no realtor fees. Yeah. Yeah. There really is. And the hardest part is it's an educational process when we talk to sellers yeah, for sure. On acquiring those contracts because they're not familiar with it. Mm-hmm. No one's ever taught them about that. So that's really the, the biggest challenge is the time that we spend on helping them through that process to let them know that this is a great alternative. Um, we can also do it even while they're, they may be marketing with an agent. We have no problems doing that whatsoever. We can basically co, I wouldn't, I don't know if the term would be co-broke it, but if they're selling with an agent, if it sells, if it sells first, on a normal conventional type sale, then we just cancel our lease. Yeah. But if we actually have one of our end buyers that we market to that comes in and takes that lease option on those terms, then the seller then, then agrees it gets, that they're going to move It gets taken off the market. Yep, exactly. That's and, so and cool, we'd be Jim. Structured so, the, oops, so, the, uh, so that the agent actually is still has their commission. I mean, they're still going to get paid. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so that, yeah, that's, that's smart. That reminds me back in the day when I was, first doing creative wonky low money no money down type deals i i did a few of those kind of ideas and yeah it, it can work out very very well and 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 here's something i don't know if you've considered you probably have but i'm aware of um another investor doing something similar and what they do in addition to everything that you've just been talking about is they actually partner up with the seller because like you say yeah biggest challenge is getting the seller on board that this is educating them as to how the hell this whole convoluted yeah. thing kind of works it's it's pretty straightforward for you and I but for a mom and pop home seller right it might seem like rocket science so what this guy was doing was he would partner up with them all the same ideas they would split the option fee 50-50 yeah and then he would charge like a management fee monthly to babysit the tenant buyer. And the, the real value that brought to the table was babysit the whole deal as well. Right. To make sure it closed and that the tenant buyer got their ducks in a row so that they would qualify for financing at the end of the term. So is, is that something that you've looked at as well? Yep, absolutely. We're, yeah. That is one of our options to the seller. Okay. So yeah, we absolutely, think that would be- we'll do that all day long because we kind of look at it as a partnership with that seller. We're trying to get them the maximum dollar for it. We're trying to help them move their house and open up a buyer's pool to them and still be able to work even with agents. We don't have to cut them out because typically they're afraid to do things like this because they're never they, trained. They, they, get, they get no commission. So when right. does the agent actually get paid out? How does the agent get paid in this kind of a deal? Normally we do some upfront of both. A lot of it is basically all going to come out of that assignment fee. Right. So the end buyer is still basically covering the costs, but there's also the opportunity for them to take a small piece of it on the back end. Yeah. And most of the options that we deal with, again, it's everything is really seller dependent because when we first started, and I think most beginning investors go through this period is there's almost like a period of greed, right? Mm. They got to get every dime out of every deal. Right. It doesn't really matter. And we found that it's way, way, way more beneficial to work with the sellers and find a solution that works good for them, works good for us, and it'll work good for an agent. It, we don't have to, and, have, and the buyer. have to make big killings. Yeah, and the end yeah. buyer. Yeah, yeah. 
So it's really all about helping everybody out in the transaction to make it work and beneficial to everybody more so than what you would normally do in a, con- in a conventional sale. So, so what, per- what percentage of your business these days are these kind of deals, Jim? Right now, probably about 90%. Wow. Really? Yeah, we pretty awesome. much, there's always a little mix of wholesaling in there, but yeah. this is where our primary focus is. Um, if something comes up, that it lends itself to like, say a quote unquote conventional wholesale deal. Mm-hmm. We'll still do those. I mean, there's no sense for me that why waste profit if everyone's open to doing the. Yeah. You're spending transaction. a lot of money and effort on marketing. So yeah. Right. But that really isn't our focus. And so more time is being spent communicating with sellers, connecting with agents to try to educate them to bring in more basically deal sources and where we can spend time. I mean, right now I'm in the process of, putting together a, basically a marketing video for agents to use with their sellers, mm-hmm. throw this out there to get them a little bit more familiar with the benefits of seller financing and some different partner, for instance, like our partnering on deals in order to make more on the sale of their house, if they can just wait a little while in order to close it. Because really that's all it comes down to is how long you're going to wait. Some, some instances where people have a lot of equity, um, you know, they're, they're fine with a five, seven, 10 year lease purchase. Yeah, it doesn't matter to them. Um, I've really been spending a lot of time talking with other some other investors that um, really are still into this buy and hold methodology with single family residences. Uh-huh. And I'm just spending more time with them and say, why would you want to position yourself as a landlord when you can position yourself as the bank without any of the headaches? <laughs> And um, when you have the chance to actually educate them on that, they go, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it's like, well, especially if they're only planning to hold on to a property or five to 10 years, anyhow, right. Why not do it like this? Yeah. That's really, really smart, Jim. So, so you're in green Bay. What's kind of the population area that you're marketing out to like how, well, around our area between, um, the next furthest county over, it's almost kind of, it's called the Fox Cities or it's Fox Valley. So it's a combination between Green Bay and Appleton, which is like a half an hour yep. between, the, between the two. But normally it's like 250 to 350, 400,000. And that's the, is that the only market that you focus on? No, actually we've been focusing a lot right now in Florida. Oh, really? Okay. Just because there's a, just a ton of investor activity there. Yeah. And um, so we've kind of wanted to move into that market. My daughter is in that market. So I've got boots on the ground. That was like a big thing for us. Mm -hmm. Um, But primarily it's um, to go where there's a lot of investment activity. And I think some of the better Metro Metro areas, because real estate is something you can do virtually. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have hands-on. And especially once you get into the creative side of things and start dealing with paper, I don't need to actually see the house. I just need to know that the numbers work. Right. Have somebody see the house, right? Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we'll always have an agent or someone there that can put you know eyes on the property to just to verify more than anything. But um, you know, we typically don't go into and do big inspections or anything like that because that's really up to the end buyer. Yeah, you know, they're going to go through, they're going to do their walkthrough. But once they've done that and they've done their own due diligence and they sign on the line, now they're buying as is. So mm-hmm. you know, the deal is pretty much completed after that. And if we just do those as assignments. If it makes sense and there's there's room enough, we'll do a sandwich lease. Um, 
but typically there has to be enough room for it to make sense. And when we have a lot yeah, of, well, you know what, you know what I like about your method even more is it really, it really does take the risk away from you right? yeah. and, and to a certain degree keeps the owner in much more control as well. So it's, yep, exactly. and, and I like the partnership idea versus the, you know, you're doing a deal with the owner and then you're doing a separate deal with the end buyer and it's yeah. all this kind of stuff. If all the cards are on the table from, you know, square one, I think in a certain way that simplifies things for you a lot. Now I'm yeah, curious, Jim, how only, are you, how are I'm you sorry, generating right? leads for this? What's working best for you these days for lead? Um, most of it is primarily, I mean, we'll, we do some, um, you know, marketing, I use software. Like I, I really have just started with the last month, month and a half or so utilizing Privy. Mm -hmm. And I really like the functionality of that software a lot. So for folks that aren't familiar with Privy, what, tell us a little bit about it. Um, in essence, what it does is it basically utilizes MLS data, but it's organized in such a way where it's um, essentially we're focusing on say fix and flippers and it will literally go through and it'll show you within a designated metropolitan area, every single house that's been flipped. You'll have before pictures, after pictures, everything is basically put together that it was built for investors. The comparable data is all done for you. You don't have to go out and try to comp data. Nice. It's all right there. And you're really going after the flipper, is if I'm understanding. You're going after the, the active investor trying to yeah, those are kind of our cash buyers. The other ones is that we're kind of networking with a lot of agents down there to try to get the word out to utilize owner financing as an additional thing and giving them marketing pieces to throw out to their clientele. Okay. So, so we've been kind of starting this where, yeah, we we focus on agents because <clears throat> they typically run into more sellers than we normally would on a regular basis. And we utilize their marketing to do it. And we're kind of focusing on expanding their toolbox a little bit in order to bring us more of the types of folks that we need, because they run into people all the time that they now, especially now that they won't be able to get financing, they do their own homework on, they've got cash down payments, but they can't get them a house because, and they're not going to spend the time trying to get them a conventional house because they don't have the financing in place, but I'm saying. Okay. So, so that's for the tenant buyer that that's for marketing for the tenant buyer. Yep. What about for the property sellers? What, what are you, how are you doing in generating your leads there? For, I mean, most of those typically we'll take a look at either expireds um, or we'll just go out and hit a FISBO list. Got it. Yeah. And it's just a matter of contacting them and saying, hey, have you ever considered doing owner financing or some type of creative financing in order to sell your house? And if we can do this, 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 and this, would you have a be open to it and saying, hey, if nothing else, we always kind of leave it out there as a plan B. Yeah. There's no reason why you can't put your house up on the market. If that's what you want to do, try to cash out if that's what you want to do. But what do you, what happens if that doesn't work out? Mm -hmm. Why not have a plan B that will actually net you more money. And it's really as simple as this, when it all comes down to it, we're just closing about 12 to 18 months later. Yeah. But without all the fees and commissions. Very cool. And, and to, to reach these FISBOs, are you texting them, emailing them, hard copy mailing them what facebooking them what what do you typically do you, we just walk through a list and then we basically call or i'll have a va call and make that intro because um 
I've seen too many times where too much gets lost in translation by trying to do too much texting. Yeah. If, if any of the text blasting that we've ever done, um, and this was actually through a different piece of software that we use, but it's essentially just to get a response. Yeah. But as soon as you get a response, we're on the phone. Get on the phone. Yeah. And that's yeah. typically you or, or you've got some, some helpers. Uh, for that. I, I have a couple of VAs that do that to do the initial call. Normally it's to see if there's an interest there. If there's the an VA, interest there, the VAs are they based in the States or are they international? Um, I have one each. Okay. But the biggest thing is the English criteria, because the only thing that I'm actually asking them to do is basically go through a small laundry list. You get a little bit on the seller's information, very little on the house, but are they open to the concept? Mm -hmm. And if they're open to the concept, but they just don't understand it or, you know, and they've at least expressed some type of curiosity, those are the ones then that I set up an appointment. And then we dig a little bit deeper into what their situation is, what they're trying to do and how we can utilize creative financing or say a lease purchase, something of that nature in order to be able to help them get to where they really want to be. And you do all of this over the phone? All over the phone. Man, I think, I think if at all possible, because again, I, I would imagine that one of the big hiccups there is trying to get the concept across to a seller, right? Right. And that's yeah, why so we looked into the video piece. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. If you could get them on Zoom, yeah, and walk them through some sort of a just a super simple slideshow type presentation, yeah, um, that would probably be super effective for you, and even better yet, or a combination, right? So if you kind of get the curiosity going there, you've booked in in an appointment with you, and in the interim they get dripped a series of a, a few short videos kind of explaining the concept big picture. Then that way, if you can't get them on a zoom call, at least when you're talking to them over the phone, they've visually seen how it kind of works at a reader's digest level. Yeah. And we've been looking at doing the drip campaign as one we can get people that will give us, you know, testimonials once they finished everything out. Oh, for sure. It's getting them in that follow-up sequence, but utilizing those so they basically get drip fed about you know i was in the same boat as you were i had no, no idea anything about i was really nervous or uncomfortable about doing any type of owner financing you know we we walked through this whole process and we're so glad that we did those types of testimonials yeah for sure and drip feed those out because then they start to relate and it's and really david the the, the biggest thing we found is and the, and the hardest part is building the systems to be able to automate a big portion of that and get them into a follow-up sequence because you just can't manage that many leads, especially and do a really effective follow-up without having the tools. You know, what's a simple shortcut for you, Jim, if you don't mind me sharing with you. Yeah. If your VA reaches out to them and gets the curiosity going and then books the call in with you, let's say three or four days later. Okay. In Calendly, in Calendly, okay, they book, she books them in with you in Calendly. Calendly, you can set it up so it has a whole bunch of reminder messages that go out before the call. And you can customize those messages mm -hmm. and just put in those little testimonial link videos yeah. in each message as they're coming along. So, you know, or you can combine that. You can 
you know, just connect that with Slack and your CRM system and, and have a drip sequence go out that way as well. But just like a quick shortcut would be something like that. And then after you've had the call, Calendly can also send a series of post-call messages as well. So you can kind of hit them yeah, from I'll both ends. Because I haven't looked at Calendly at all. Oh, it's just, it's a, I'm a big fan of Calendly. I've been using it for years just for booking calls and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. it's pretty robust for those kind of things. So something, to, that'd be a shortcut. You yeah, know, no, I'm, all, I'm always open to newer and better things. No, that's awesome, Jim. I love what you're doing, man. Thanks so much for for sharing a, a little bit about what you're up to and the, and the yeah. creative side of things. I think that's really, really smart. I, I like the way you're doing that. What would you say is like the minimum viable market size area a person has to have to, to actually do a, a decent number of deals with this kind of strategy? Well, I, th- I think the, where things are moving right now, I mean, I would say so long as, I mean, you're in a metropolitan area that has over a hundred thousand. Really? You think there'd be enough deal flow, even with as few as a hundred thousand people in an area? I think so, because it's, if people truly understood where, how well the, how they can truly benefit by doing an owner type of owner finance type of arrangement, if agents truly understood how important a tool that is to them in order to be able to close a lot more deals, yeah, for for their buyers, right? Not for their sellers so much. That's right. Yeah. Well, even for both, but, they can move more, but they don't have to turn buyers away that they normally would shun. That's that's where I'm thinking you're getting. The yeah, exactly. Sure. But it really yeah. is for both, and it's just yeah. it's a mindset that's going to take time to develop. But this market is moving, and it's seen out beforehand. You know, the market was so hot yeah. that no one would ever bother. It just didn't cash have to out, get my cash. I'm in and out. I'm done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but now we're moving into where banks are tightening. I mean, mm-hmm. we're really going back to the you know mid two thousands again, where interest rates are climbing, banks are tightening their lending criteria, so you're going to have fewer really good buyers that are there. So you've got to start opening up the toolbox and make and that's you know the thing I other investors that I've networked with and you have to adjust to where the market is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is a, it's a great opportunity. And especially even if you're in a smaller market, mm-hmm. it's way easier to be able to close a deal and get a deal done. If you can work with a seller and let them know and saying, Hey, I can still accomplish everything that you're really looking to do because most of them, I mean, let's be honest, if I had $200,000 in equity in a house, I don't need $200,000 to buy my next house. Right. Most people that they would, they don't have a clue and have never even thought about what they're going to do with the proceeds. So even if they're moving into another house, they just need enough for an adequate down payment. Well, we can work with that. Yeah. But let's work with the rest of the equity and, and have an investment that we control. It's secured by a real asset mm-hmm. as opposed to say, you know, crypto, the stock market, right. what else are you going to invest in? Exactly. You don't have any of those benefits and you do with real estate. So why not use your house as an investment you know it better than anybody. You've lived in it for umpty ump years. How how are you determining the end price? Normally, um, it, some of it is a little bit dependent upon how long we do the lease the lease purchase for. Yeah. So if we're doing one that's five to seven years out, we're gonna probably up to the end retail price by about ten percent, seven to ten percent. Um, if not, it's kind of like a play by ear thing. We obviously. For us, we want something on the back end. 
Mm-hmm. So when we do, when everything finally does close out that we're making something on the back end, um, which is again, another thing that I, I encourage other investors to really consider is when you do a lease purchase is that you're getting paid at least three times mm-hmm. closer to four because you're getting the non-refundable deposit up front. You're making monthly cash flow. You're making money on the back end when it sells and you benefit from appreciation. So when you take all those factors in there, how many other real estate investments can you make money on three to four times at one deal? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Awesome, Jim. If, if people want to connect with you and find out more, where can they go? Um, best way is I either... Uh, I normally don't utilize the website too much because I typically use that for the buyers and sellers, but um, they can either just contact me directly um, and I throw my cell phone out there. It's at 920-562-0672 or they can email me directly at npsrealestategb at gmail.com. It's npsrealestategb, as in girl, b as in boy, at gmail.com. And those go directly to me. I normally don't throw a lot of stuff into a secondary one um, because mm-hmm. if people reach out to me, then I'm normally pretty good at getting back to them within 24 hours. Awesome. Jim, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate the opportunity. And it was, it was awesome just to get out there and share some of the stuff with some other folks that are trying to make it happen. Likewise. All right, everybody take care. We'll see you on the next episode.